and welcome to Thought Gun, where ideas are planted. I'm your host, Rachel Woods, and this time I'm accommodating the competition. Another coach that likes to work in nature. We've been connected online for some time, but this is the first real conversation I think we've had, so I better get on and introduce him. He's an associate certified coach and a chartered environmentalist. He's an experienced leader, having worked in executive management, business management, operations, partnership, and policy for a range of organizations. And now he's director of the Natural Coaching Company, founding partner at the Human Nature Partnership, and chair of the Brighton and Hove Building Green. He also works for a government agency. He recently published the book, Being in Nature, which is 20 practices to help you flourish in a busy world with his business partner, Lee Evans, not the comedian I'm guessing, and spoke at TEDx Aston on the subject of nature coaching with Diana Tedaldi of the Nature, sorry, yeah, nature Coaching Academy. And he lives with his family in Brighton, which I understand from today has been gloriously sunny. It's of course at the moment, the 28th of February. So he's also somewhat obsessed though with surfing, surfing, but say sofa surfing then, surfing <laughs> and music. This is the wonderful James Farrell. There's so much to talk about here, James, but shall we start with the book? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I tried to connect some of those things with the book. <laughs> so well, how did that come about? Um, it's been a few years in gestation. I'm one of those um, people that likes to start lots of things. I'm not always that great at finishing them. But um, so I've started a number of books. This is one that I've actually managed to finish. And it's come about really as a result of the last few years, I think, getting quite excited again by some of the science um, and evidence emerging from psychology and from medicine about the, not only the various ways in which nature is good for us human beings, but how by becoming more connected to nature, we can actually ignite action to protect nature. So the more nature connected we are, the more action we're likely to take for the environment. And so the book tries to sort of sit in that space, really. Yeah, that's a consequential knock on, isn't it? When you appreciate nature more, you're more inclined to want to protect at least what's local to you, if not on a wider scale. Is that what, where you're coming from? Yeah. And um, I, I guess very simple idea at the heart of it is we protect what we love. And you could apply that in life to your children or your partner or, or, or your, your place where you live. Um, same thing applies to, to the natural world. And it comes from this idea of, of nature connection, which is uh, defined as a sense of an experiential sense of oneness yeah. with the natural world. So, you know, there's in there, me, you know, there's a bunch of stuff. One is there's got to be an experience. So you have to be able to experience it too. There's a, some senses involved. So how are we interacting with that, with that environment? And then third is a sense of, of oneness. And um, we tend to live our modern lives uh, the opposite of one, one was two-ness. So the Woody Allen quote, you know, I'm, I'm at two with nature. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we, we see ourselves as somehow separate, isolated, hermetically sealed entities roaming around this planet. Um, and nature is this thing that kind of gets in the way or that we can utilize or extract from. Mm. And, um, and actually, nature connection is about um, realizing that we are nature, too, yeah. um, and that we are we are as much a part of this living planet as things that we'd identify as wildlife or or whatever moving that so from get quite consumers. deeply philosophical already in this yeah no i can see that know. movement from consumer through to appreciator i think of consumer as those that yes i get out in nature i use it as a backdrop for exercise and holidays 
through to, or I'm, I'm a proper consumer, whereas literally I'm ripping stuff out and stealing resources, not stealing, but taking resources from the planet and so on and so forth. Yeah. Extreme consumers, I would say that would, that would sit in through to appreciate it. Yes, I take photos and I, and I look at these photos and I really like that. And that's good. I, you know, I, I might donate to the Woodland Trust or something because I appreciate nature through to someone who's so it's really properly connected and really understands that link, whether it be genetic, whether it be, you know, neuroscientific, whether it be psychological, whether it be spiritual, but understands the link between humans being a part of this earth and sharing, I mean, 17% of our DNA with this lovely plant behind me, you know, so it's, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all made of the same stuff, essentially, aren't we? And it's, mm. it's, then we get into that headspace of, good God, we better look after this. This is important to us. Yeah, and we know the reasons why, don't we? I mean, obviously, we have, I say obviously, yes, it is obvious, we have health crises, you know, pandemic has brought that home big time, hasn't it? Um, there's a range of other uh, of health conditions that are rife in our communities, so, uh, and which can, at least, to some extent, if not a great extent, be relieved by being outdoors more. So um, getting away from screens, and being outdoors more. So that so being outdoors is generally a good thing, we should be doing it and, and and it's something that we should all be doing and we know we have maybe we'll come on to this some some huge sort of uh social um justice issues around access to nature um yeah but but then part of what excites me about the science which is what led me to write the book is that they found a load of other layered benefits that come from what is it that you actually do then when you do go outside so if i go outside and throw a frisbee and play football that's going to give me a bunch of benefits, but it isn't going to make me nature connected. No. If I go outside and I throw a frisbee and play a football, and then I might sit under a tree and have a look at it for a while and think about how I'm feeling and what it might mean to me, then you're starting to get a load of other interesting things happen. So um, the science shows that people are more likely to have higher life satisfaction yeah. and higher self-esteem. Yeah. Um, potentially access to more creative thinking. Mm. Um, and then you know, on top of that, then comes this sort of link between having all those benefits, feeling nature connected and being more likely to do behavior in our day to day lives, which is good for the planet. So that might mean switching, making sure you're on a renewables tariff for your energy. You know, well, everyone's going to be thinking about their energy tariffs at the moment, aren't they? Because of um, the yeah. prices that are coming our way. Um, so there's an opportunity there to think about how, how can you do that uh, and if, where you can afford to, you know, make sure you're you're choosing renewables it actually comes down to voting preferences um that might not be party political but it might be about support for policies which are pro-environment pro-wildlife so those those are quite big things and then there are things that we can do closer to home like if we have a garden if we're lucky enough um think about how we can make a home for nature in our garden yeah um yeah. can we volunteer some of our time if we're lucky enough to be able to do that so it starts to get down to tangible tangible things and I think it's easy sometimes to think that we have no locus in the world. We have no, you know, it's just me. What difference can I make? Um, but there is some interesting stuff recently that shows that there's about 30 different behavioral changes that individuals can make, which add up to about 30% of the climate mitigation that we need to keep this planet within, you know, reasonable degrees of warming, one and a half. Or Wait, so. That's quite a chunky really figure, isn't it, really? That's quite... That's a chunky figure. Yeah, it's a you say that, I mean, they say, what difference can I make? And there is that old adage, isn't it, with the kiddie throwing starfish back into the sea and say, well, you're not going to make a difference. Well, I have to that one. You know, it's, it's a really yeah. old, whether it's true or not, 
but it is I like to think that you know my it's not a rockery it's a woodery my pile of logs in the front garden it's actually quite an, an attractive thing to look at but the same thing it's sort of managed wildness wildness if you like and lots of things live in there and I don't mess with it I trim the roses every now and again above it but I don't mess with that woodery if whatever's living in there gets to stay there that's fine and I think actually it keeps a lot of spiders out of my house they seem to like it out there which is great <laughs> terrified but ultimately in, in my little world I'm saying okay so I might not be doing a huge amount for like the entire borough of Somerset but in my little patch I'm providing havens for small creatures and, and, and natural things and there's a bit of my back garden I don't mow at all and we've got a little bee hotel down at the bottom of the garden and Buggingham Palace as we like to call it so there's little things you can start like that and when you start doing the little things they become really normal and then because there's such a habit, you start stacking on other things like, you know, the recycling's become second nature, I think, to most people now. And then you start recycling a bit more and a bit more. And then you make a little bit more effort and maybe you mm. give feedback to I don't know, your local takeaway to say, can you stop using polystyrene, please? Mm. And lo and behold, enough people do that. They may just start stopping as our local one has. So lovely to see things turn up in cardboard containers. And you just think, wow, that's better. I like that because I, I know I can recycle that. I don't feel guilty for filling my bin up. So there's all these little things that start adding up and then you realize actually I do have a little bit of influence and I think the more you realize that the more you can you feel your confidence growing you can try and do that a little bit more and you're right it's what can you do locally about your nature your environment the water the air that you breathe where you are and if everybody everywhere did that well wouldn't that be a lovely world to live in obviously that's very very difficult that's very ideological um, I think, so what's, yeah, what's in the book that helps awesome. with that that's the one thing I, I mean I loved I love the book and I don't give me spoilers away because I do want people to go and read it but what little hints from the book would you like to share well I'll have to ask you what your favorite book is in the moment yeah yeah I, I think it's hard it's a very simple very very simple thing which is just go outside and instead of going for a walk or doing an activity just just sit and notice just so find somewhere that there's three f's is the thing that we used in our TED talk Deanna and I but first F might be find, find somewhere that means something to you. So if you're lucky enough to have a green space nearby, you know, it might be a, a tree that you like or a bit of lawn or a bit of garden or bush or anything, a bird singing. And, um, and, then, um, and then just focus on, on that space. Just focus on your senses, I guess, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're smelling how the ground feels underneath you. You know, there's kind of some of the stuff you, you don't necessarily, it's there all the time when you're on your screen doing your emails, but you know, it's bring it to your awareness and bring it to your attention. And then, and then the third bit is just feeling the difference, I think. So, you know, what's happening to your emotions? You know, are you feeling calmer? Are you feeling happier? Um, what might that, what that might that mean to you? Um, and then ultimately out of that, I think then comes, comes a sense of compassion, you know, compassion, even just for that moment, for that, thank you for that moment of five minutes where I've actually been able to breathe, you know, relax, drop my shoulders, um, step away from whatever pressures I've got in my life. Um, but also then, you know, what is it that I appreciate about the natural world that's enabling me to have that moment? Yeah. And that really what is at the heart of the book. So there's 20 practices. Some of them can be done indoors, actually. There's one or two you can do indoors, but most of them are um, things that you take out. So it's a pocket sized book. So you can stick it in your pocket and you can go out wherever that is. Some of them are seasonal. So things you can do, particularly in winter or spring or summer um, or autumn. Um, and, and, and each practice is short, it's sweet, um, and there's a description of 
some of the science behind why it works. So what's going on with this with this thing mm. that you're doing in this moment and, and how might that work for you, which some people really like that explanation. Um, and there it takes the woo out of it, doesn't it? It takes that sort of um, it's not all yeah, yeah. tree hugging woo. This is actually there are scientific studies that have now caught up with the more spiritual, I suppose, and are now yeah. saying, actually, we've known this has worked for years and years and years, but we never really knew why. And now science is suddenly going, actually, we've done a study on that. Or we've taken 700 people into a forest in Japan. And we know why forest bathing works now yeah. and all of that stuff. And you're like, wow. Yeah. OK, so now. Well, somebody says, oh, that's all a bit, you know, hippie, hippie, dippy. Well, actually, my friend, let me tell you, I'm now going to go full nature nerd on you and tell you why it's not hippie, dippy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose I'm a scientist by training, so it kind of, I'm, you know, but I find that when I talk, for example, through um, my consultancy, the Human Nature Partnership, I talk to corporates, then then actually you can, they get it. If it's, when, it's, when it's got that gravitas, I think, about the evidence behind it, as you say, it doesn't, it doesn't sound hippy dippy and, and, and woo woo. Um, but each is also inspired by, um, by a particular part of the wild world. And so uh, particular species, for example, they're all illustrated um, with that species. And it says something about why that species was chosen to illustrate that individual. Who did your illustrations, by the way? I forgot, I forgot to write that. So down they're all drawn actually from something called the Biodiversity Heritage Library, which is started okay. by the Smithsonian. And they've they've been collecting antique uh, illustrations, botanical illustrations. They did look antique. They've got a very um, yeah. historical look about them, sort of botanical. Yeah. Um, if you yeah, go to Kew Gardens, the sort of things they have in frames to buy in the gift shop, they're all quite ancient <laughs> botanical drawings, aren't they? It's quite yeah. They are, and then um, the designers cut them out, and they they're kind of good in the contrast in colour, which makes it feel a bit less like a Victorian postcard and more. Yeah, like, it's got a slightly contemporary space. Yeah. 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 I love that. No, yeah, I so great fun. Have you ever written a book yet? Not yet. I've, I've started. I have started. So I've been using um, a sort of model for coaching in nature and using the dynamics of the outdoor world for quite some time. And then somebody says to me, well, you really ought to write that down. I'm like, mm, well, no, but it's all up here. And I just kind of hoof, I wing it, basically. I do it on the hoof. And mm. like, yeah, but actually some of this stuff's really, I talk about mycelium. I talk about networks and systems and mm. mushrooms and fungi and the things you see above the surface versus what's going on below. And mm. just, okay. And then I started mapping it out and I drew a, a tree and a system. And then I started getting into what's the fruits, what's the foliage, what are you showing and when are you showing it? And when do you drop all of that and become just, you know, effectively naked or yourself or whatever it looks like mm. and you know what, what do you do in preparation for different seasons and then what's the atmosphere doing what are your kind of friends if you like the bugs that are helpful the things that are symbiotic and and, and good and then what's the the threats the attackers so when you start doing that you start seeing business systems organizational systems you start this is this huge map of stuff that all came from me looking at a tree and going all right, so it's not just about going back to your roots and having a strong, solid trunk. And this all seems really, yeah. really sort of stereotypical. There's so much more to play with. And then you've got the myths and legends. Then you've got the kind of paganism <laughs> style of things, the stories or fairies and imps and tales of, you know, trolls and God knows what you want to kind of bring into it, depending on your client. If your client's a bit woo, yeah. well, let's go woo. That's fine. If your client's very like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's okay. We'll talk neuroscience. What a problem. <laughs> so it's it's rangy, and I'm struggling to get it down into a, what it would look like in an actual book and structuring it. But I'm, I'm loving the process. I'm yeah. loving the process. It's quite a, an interesting an interesting kind of journey, I suppose. How long did yours take you? 
Um, it, it's probably about three years. Most of that, it was sat on my hard drive, not really doing anything. It was, <laughs> it was basically done. And it was the fight. The, the hardest bit was the final bit, really, which is, okay, <laughs> get it off here now. I was lucky enough that I knew the designer and... Um, and so uh, we Fine yeah. proof publish. <laughs> <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. And now we're in the world of marketing and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, just it just yeah. makes such a nice little Christmas present or birthday gift or Mother's Day. I'm just seeing mm. Mother's Day coming up and thinking, wow, what oh, a yeah. thing to give to a mum that likes being outside or has a garden or appreciates nature in some way. Um, yeah, remember buying by my dad, there's a National Trust book by a chap called Andy Beer called Everyday Nature. Mm. And it's not oh, yes, activities and yeah. things, but it's kind of a whole year in um, mm. day by day. There's 365 entries of all different yep. animals and things that he sees in his kind of wanderings. And he's not he's not a naturalist as such, I don't think. He's a, a guy that likes wandering around and looking at nature and seeing what's going on. And you just think, actually, that's, I nearly said naturist. That's completely something else, isn't it? That's very yeah. bright. <laughs> Still <laughs> um, wandering around looking at what's yeah. going on. <laughs> you could get naturist this, I suppose but um I, I got that for my dad and he thinks it's wonderful and he keeps saying one day I'll give that back to you you can use it for your work I'm like dad do you think I didn't mm. buy myself a copy <laughs> it's like really it's like no I have a copy it's fine so yeah. but I can just see yours being that kind of because it's not it's not for techie people it's not for nature geeks it's not for scientists mm. it's not for coaches as such it's, it's for anyone that has any inkling of an interest in nature or somebody that doesn't and really should maybe that's because it's so accessible yeah. in these little exercises it's you know just going outside your, your your back door or looking out of a window watching the clouds or breathing or noticing what's around you like you say that sensory connection it was kind of a spoiler when you said oh I'll ask you your favorite bit because that, that kind of is my go-to mm. kind of calming down exercises to go and stand in the garden and just listen and notice mm. and breathe and connect in with all the senses and if I have cleared up the garden because I do have dogs I'll go and stand in the grass barefoot mm. if I've cleaned up the garden <laughs> <It's clearly. laughs> or I'll go out the field and do that I actually quite like going out the field when the buttercups are out and standing in the butterc buttercups with no shoes on that's just just because when the dew's on the grass and it's really cold wow that sounds nice and you could get really nerdy about negative ions and all that kind of stuff with the water and what have you but it is just wriggling your toes in in, in the long grass when it's clean and clear and crisp and a little bit misty first thing in the morning it's just that's quite yeah people must think I'm bonkers <laughs> it's just like if one of the dogs runs off I'm chasing after them with their shoes on but it's a it's just a nice resetting thing and you forget all your worries for a bit and don't think about them because you're noticing something else entirely and you're bringing yourself back to your own body and your own state yeah. it's really grounding um so I think you know having these really easy and accessible things to do that aren't sitting cross-legged on a hill and chanting for hours and meditating. And it's mm. it makes nature so much more accessible in terms of the connection. And good, like you say, going beyond that consumerism of I just go out there and play football because I can't play football indoors. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, there will be an interesting thing to do, which is to access parts of the of our communities that that you know, don't have this in their their um, their backgrounds, their upbringing. Don't necessarily have natural green space on the doorstep either. Yeah, uh, I do a lot of my work in London, and so you know, a lot of communities in London, uh, Black, Asian, and minority ethnic communities, for example, more than twice as likely to have no local green space. Um, four times more likely to have no garden or even a balcony at home. 
And even if there is local green space, that's less likely to visit it than, mm. than white Londoners. So how do you take, how do you sort of go where people are, I guess? Uh, some interesting work Pifford Range is doing, I think, around nature connection and football. So how can you bring nature to you know, a more natural border or environment to a place where people are going to play football? Mm. How do you think about you know, some of the stuff you're talking about in systems there is really interesting. So how, how does a team dynamic work and how might that relate to a natural system? And so I think, you know, this is not something I've done a lot of yet, but there'd be, I'm really keen that, that as you say, this is seen as something very simple that is open and accessible to anyone whether they've got, you know, mountains on their doorstep or a little local pocket park. Yeah, or the best they can have pigeons on the yeah. roof, clouds go by. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. if you're in a, in a high rise, sometimes that, you know, if you, all you can see is concrete and buildings mm. and roads and you might get a glimpse of one of the, I mean, London's got some great parks, but they're not everywhere. And you could be in a space where when you look out, you don't see a hint of green. And that's, I think, you know, when you look at cities like Singapore that are building green spaces upwards, and hanging things off balconies and, and you know, the, the, the kind of less, so vertical planting is becoming quite popular and yeah. it's going beyond fashionable now. They've actually recognised that actually for a city to really thrive, there needs to be a lot more mm. green stuff. And if you don't have the, you know, the, the, the horizontal planes, then you go up with it. And actually a lot of plants are quite happy with that. So great, bring mm. it on. You know, it's, um, we were in Rio once. Uh, I'm not, this isn't a holiday brag, but I was quite surprised at how how tree lined and how much they mm. let the jungle into the city. Right. There's an awful lot of the jungle in the city, and they've sort of kind of given yeah. up trying to fight it and just gone. Well, you know, the pavements aren't tarmac; they're tiled with these little tiles that are about two by two inches wise. So if the tree roots make them undulate. <laughs> Yeah, so right, we've got bumpy pavements. So it's just like, okay, then, you know, so over here it would never happen because I don't know, somebody would be sued if they fell over or something. And it's like, oh, it was the tree's fault, you know. It's and you can look down from people's balconies and see monkeys running along the kind of phone wires and the like. Wow. Jungles, they did like, you know, we can only do so much to fight the jungle off. And after a while, they just want you know what? <laughs> so let's fight the stuff off that's really damaging and everything else can grow. Because ultimately, then they've got these streets that are cooler when it's really really stinky hot you know the, the, there's natural shade um there's something in that like, swimming, no, but yeah 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 i mean there's something in that um culturally as a society in, in in brazil for example that kind of tolerates untidiness in the way that we don't in england in the uk you know we sort of a nature of think ourselves of a nature of gardeners uh, a nation of gardeners don't we and um, they're a nation of manicured gardeners in some yeah, way. Exactly. Uh, we, we like in yeah, exactly. Stripes in your lawn and, and very controlled borders. And yeah. Exactly yeah. right. We like to control things. I think that's shifting though. That. I'm seeing lots more little sort of wild patch gardens and sort of really certainly like cottage gardens being quite fashionable now. I don't know whether it's the oh. same way you are. Certainly in Somerset, there's an awful lot of gardens that you would look at and go, it's tidy, but it's like managed wildlife rather than like completely manicured but but at the same time i must say there's a rise i'm noticing now in astroturf which i'm really really quite annoyed at <laughs> so it's, if anyone's listening you've got astroturf i poo poo astroturf i'm sorry i'm not going to apologize for that <laughs> I hate this. well i'm with you i'm with you and decking and converting your front front garden into a driveway and um you know there's an epidemic of that in in london and it's affecting the drainage of the city and the amount of, 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 of summer and stormwater flooding that takes place now is you know largely attributable to making the city an impermeable place not a permeable one and all of that reduces away. nature and biodiversity too yeah 
And yet now, I mean, you can get these the bricks that grass grows through the middle of, can't you? So you've still got oh, a hard stuff car. Yet mm. water can go through them because they've got holes in, which is really helpful. <laughs> Tarmacked. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. But again, they're they're a modern thing, aren't they? They're something that's come along almost after the fact. And I don't see people who've spent a lot to get that done, ripping it all up to put bricks with holes in down. That's well, that's the shame, isn't it? We'd either have to find funding for it to make it really yeah. or, or in, in the interest of people to do that. And that's what's really challenging, isn't it? Is to kind of reverse engineer and undo the damage that's already been done through our own kind of ignorance over the years, effectively, and building on floodplains and mm. you know, all that stuff. Mm. Mm. Or we could put the um, world to rights, James. <laughs> we could. Let's not get on to the car and, the, and what the car does to society, because that's a whole other podcast, I think. No, that's well. I'm, I'm I'm about to go car shopping for something a lot greener than what I've got, and it's I'm like, okay, well that's fine. But if I've got something new, I'm waiting till December before it comes. So I'm basically driving a gas guzzler until that turns up. Right. And I'm trying not to drive it at all most of the time, but um, sometimes mm. I'm in Somerset. The bus routes aren't that great. So, you know, so. No, so you don't have any choice, I guess. No. Yeah, it's easier in the city, I think, to, to use public transport. And, you know, we can, when Canton's great, I can walk into the town centre, I can walk, you know, around the town. That's easy. That's not a problem. It's only about three miles across. But if I want to get to Yeovil, where my parents are, that's a, that's a 20 minute drive. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, I'll see you this afternoon, Mum. It's going to take me a while to walk there. <laughs> so it's going to be, I don't have a horse. So, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yes, it's, it's rural communities and their reliance on, but I'm seeing it. There's a lot more electric cars out there now. And I suppose there's still a question there about their kind of whole life environment mm. friendliness in terms of when the batteries are done with, what happens with them, whether they go, do they get recycled? So the modern ones, the really modern ones, I think now are much more reusable. But mm. the early, you know, the, the early Nissan Leafs and the early Teslas, actually what what happens to that battery once it's done with i think they end up just sort of storing it away a bit like nuclear fuel sort of just burying it somewhere um <laughs> a bunker or something like, i can't imagine what they do with you know old old nickel hydrides uh, or whatever it is no now. i don't know either but um i mean there's a global there's a global system here isn't there with where it's extracted from and mined and all the rest of it but i guess in yeah, we all make trade-offs don't we and um it's trying to be slightly more to, aware yeah. about the ones you have to make so that you're making them you know with a bit more context like um, you, and like you say any small changes you can make soon stack up don't you? before you know it you're recycling everything and oh yeah actually i've got a bamboo toothbrush now and i've gone plastic free in the bathroom or and there's so many things now coming onto the market that enable that I mean, bamboo is huge, isn't it? And I don't know what that does to ecologies when we're growing so much more bamboo. I mean, that's a brilliant thing and then suddenly a bit damaging. Who knows? So Maybe we shouldn't cool. brush our teeth. Maybe that would be yeah. the thing. <laughs> Can you imagine? A dentist would be going, woo! <laughs> <laughs> or not, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So um, I'm just really conscious of, of, of time here but because um, we could we could talk about this for hours, I think, and come up with some amazing, crazy ways of putting the world to rights. But... If anyone was going to do something or you'd like to leave them with a thought or concept to think about after this show, when they've, when they've listened to this and they're in that sort of thinking mood, when they're in that sort of reflective state, I would hope you're in a reflective state after listening to Thought Garden. What would you want them to go away with? Um, uh, I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier on and um, there's various things I could say. I think I'll pick one. I think the one I'd pick is to is to think about where can you next go for a walk 
where there is something taller than you in nature and just to go there and stand underneath that thing that tree probably that green wall maybe or that balcony above and just just notice how how it makes you feel there's some really really fascinating stuff about what happens when we experience awe mm. in the natural world and um, it drives a load of amazing human behaviors it makes us trust other people more easily it makes us smile more it makes us kinder more happy more generous more giving and actually more ethical in our decision making so if you can do one thing it would be find somewhere you can experience awe in nature and if you can't have a tall tree find a tiny flower and just look at something small and awesome yeah that's that that's my that's my one thing i love it I love it. Little things in walls, little snails or perfect little tiny yeah. flowers. Or, yeah, or like you say, yeah. a, a tree or something that's bigger than you are and mm. maybe makes you feel that little bit, tiny bit small, a little bit insignificant mm. for a moment. I, I, that's a yeah. lovely, lovely thought. Thank you, James. This has been wonderful. We will, Thanks, of course... Rachel. We'll, of course, share the links to where folk can find your book, because I genuinely do think that would be. It's not too late for Mother's Day, so it would be a really great Mother's Day gift. Um, and but spring's actually, on the way. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, let's, let's embrace spring for sure. Um, but also, actually, anyone that wants to find really easy, simple, beautiful ways to connect better with nature, I very, very, very much recommend this book. Um, other than that, James, obviously, we'll put your links, um, your business links and things in the show notes for anyone that wants to get in touch with you going forward. And um, other than that, I just want to say thank you very, very, very much for being here with me and to our lovely listeners for listening in. And I hope this gets played over and over and over because there's not a single thing we've covered here that would be now only, I think, even the things that we're mm. talking about around the climate and what have you. It may be a look back on this in 10 years and go, oh, look, we've changed now. <laughs> so that would be a lovely oh, thing. Well, let's hope. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank and you. Do subscribe, guys, if you like this. I think there should be a little button somewhere where you can do that and you'll get alerts when there's a new episode out um, on your favourite listening platform. I'm guessing they've all got a subscribe button somewhere. So thank you. And um, I will hopefully have you listening again on the next episode of Thought Garden. <laughs>